You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let's open with reading 1 Corinthians. We're going to read chapter 2 to start with. We might... There's an out... Nah, we'll never make it through. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message... And my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it was written, as it is written, things which eye hath seen and ear has not heard, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know, we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he who himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, there's nothing in us that would cause you to give us your Son and then your Holy Spirit and then the mind of Christ. All these things are gifts from your hand. And this morning, help us to Know that everything has been freely given to us by you, and that we should share and we should minister in this world as freely as you have freely ministered to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's a sense in which the words and the concepts were communicated to the apostles in a way that can never happen to us. Because in the writing of the New Testament, and in the Old Testament, God communicated to those whom He had designed to put these words to paper in a manner that their personalities and their abilities were used to their maximum by the Spirit of God to combine spiritual thoughts into spiritual words and put them to paper. So in that sense, after the apostolic age, none of us can ever achieve that kind of thing. But because... As we will see, we have the, the, the comforter, the helper, the teacher, the Holy Spirit. We can understand what the apostles have written and mark it 
The words are simple. The words can be understood. The phraseology can be understood. The genders, the nouns, the adjectives, the adverbs, and all of those plays on words, they can be understood by the unsaved, but they can't be understood in a manner that God intended. And, and so Paul is going to bring that to light to these Corinthians who think that they have the understanding. They're the ones who know what's going on. They have so many different philosophies by which they can evaluate the things of the universe that if you want to know what's going on, just come to one of them. They'll give you 50 different ways that it's happening. And that had infiltrated the Corinthian church. And actually, it was in the Corinthians as they became Christians and they had not expunged it from their thinking. And so, Paul is going to spend quite a bit of time working on that. Last week, we finished with verse 9. But just as it is written, I, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. We, we recognize that it was a loose quotation of Isaiah 64.4 and 65.17 that, that Paul was saying as if he was saying uh, in the language of Scripture and then he made that statement. So, coming off of that verse, verse, verse 9, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us, he says in 1 Corinthians verse chapter 2, verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Paul says to us, reminding the Corinthians as he reminds everyone, he writes to that the mysteries and the delights and the wonders that God has given to us have been given to all believers. It's not something we can remind ourselves of too often. The elitist attitude is one of the prime directives, prime movers of the human condition, if you will. I'm better than you. And here's why. We don't say that, but we think it. Humans, we, we just think it. We really do. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, when, when, when three guys get together and start telling stories, the first liar doesn't have a chance. That's just all there is to it. Because the stories that come after are going to be, I mean, I, at the place kind of business I run, I mean, I've heard of people who have shot running deer at 1,200 yards at night with a 243 with their eyes closed. I'm exaggerating a little, but the guy's eyes were open. I added that. Um, the human condition is such that we want to be better. And Paul says, God has revealed the mysteries of God to us. To all of us. Nobody's excluded. It's a humbling thing to be reminded of that. The Greeks uh, would have had to have this reminded to them regularly because of the influence of the mystery religions. They would tend to think of things in terms of levels. The deeper you go, the more information you know, to the exclusion of others. And they liked it that way. They liked to have, it's the, oh, well, if I told you what I knew, I'd have to kill you. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe exaggerated a bit. Um, it's a humbling thing to be reminded that, that everything that can be understood about salvation, the glories of the things that God has revealed to us, are revealed to everyone who believes. And so it is that though I'm standing up here, I, I learn so much from all of you as you say, well, what about this and what about that? And I, I haven't thought of that. And that's how, how it is that iron sharpens iron in the body of believers. 
No one gets special information. No one is better positioned or more important to everyone else to it than anyone else. For to us, God revealed them. The measure of your spirituality isn't your experience or some ecstatic happening that no one else has had. It's the same measure, if you will, that's meted out to every other believer on the planet. And it is at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. And His discretion, according to Scripture, is to give to everyone. No one is excluded. No one has a better story. The st- Everyone's story is the story of redemption. And every believer, although his storyline may be different, his story is the same beautiful story of of the cross. And so that's why Paul says, I came to you with the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Uh, And just as we often must reach into ourselves and search out what is going on within ourselves, so the Spirit continually searches out the depths of the Trinity and communicates to us. That's that's an in-time thing for us to understand. But the fact is, everything about God is eternal. Past, present, and future are, are one to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But they aren't to us. And so we have to think in terms of time and in linear happenings. At such and such point, at such and such point, at such and such point. How many... <laughs> don't show any hands, but... I'm sure that linear aspect of time got to some of us this morning and we were rushing around because we'd lost an hour. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. Does it just kind of go out into the ether there, that hour that we when, we, when we move the hand of the clock back? Well, back in the old days, that's what you did. Now you press buttons. What happens? Time is linear for us. And so, God communicates to us in time what is necessary for us to grow from step to step, glory to glory, advancement to advancement, as we become more and more like the Son. And so he says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. That removes pride. That removes, I did it. It was given to us by the Spirit. Ron. Right. And that's another thing the Holy Spirit does, is He gives courage. He gives direction. He gives hope. At that point, they'd lost hope. Boy, you can lose your courage quick when you lose your hope. When it seems like nothing is worth the effort that you would have to put forward. In, in that time, understand, uh, the Roman rulers would want to kill these guys. I, you know, you never really know what's going to happen until it's actually your skin that's on the line. But for to us, God revealed them. So, any comments, other comments about verse 10? Verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. That's an interesting verse. Now, we all, we're all familiar with that verse in Jeremiah 17, which says, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I submit that that is because it's in Scripture. It is still true. We don't know the depths of our heart. But no one knows us better than we know ourselves. That isn't to say that we don't know ourselves as well as we should. That the only way we can learn to plumb the depths of our own hearts and remove those things that are an offense to God is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that no one can know us as well as we know ourselves, so the Spirit of God, the only one who truly knows the thoughts of God, is the one who knows God. Paul is making a comparison that would be easily understood by the Corinthians and frankly by anyone else, as I mentioned, that we know ourselves best. God knows himself best. I think the point here is, are you trying to teach God? 
Are you trying to put words in God's mouth? We never do that, do we? We never eisegete. It's just not right. Unless we have something that we really want to defend. And then we can fit everything into this scripture and that scripture. And we twist this and rip this out. And Okay, now it's working. I know God better than he knows himself. Here's what he really meant. God knows himself best. Thus, men cannot get at the secrets that are in the heart of God. They cannot get at those things that must come by revelation. It is only the sovereign revelation of the Holy Spirit of God by that that they can find out. And again, it's an equal meeting out. Christians all benefit from the revelation that God gives. And when people stand up in front of other people and act like they're better, they're smarter, they know more, they don't. They might know more on a particular subject. And we'll talk about that later on. But especially when it comes to biblical truth, it's God who hands it out. And I'm so grateful. I wouldn't want to be responsible for that. Oh my. Oh my. No thank you. I want... I'm glad God is responsible for meeting out to every believer what they need today and tomorrow and every minute, step by step. Because only God's Spirit knows His heart. Only you know your heart. And when the two come together, if you will, and I don't want to be speaking in kind of, some kind of weird metaphorical, esoteric way, just when you, through your study of Scripture and your submission to the Holy Spirit, come together with His Spirit so that He begins to mold you into His Son's likeness, the world wants that, but they don't want it. I'll leave that. I think you all know what I mean. They want it, but they don't want it. They want it, but when you do it, they chew you out for it. Because why? Because it convicts them. And so the Spirit can use us. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Any comments? Anybody else see anything else there that I missed? I'm sure you did. And verse 12. Okay, so Paul says, for who among men knows, in verse 11, the thoughts of man, except the Spirit of the man which is in him, even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. I kind of got ahead of myself, you know, in this, but sometimes that happens when I'm going through sections of Scripture. But he's saying, okay, who knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man? Who knows the thoughts of God except God? But we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the whole, the encompassing spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things that are freely given from God. At salvation, every new believer receives the spirit of God. There's no, you don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to, I won't tag anything else here, but you, you just don't have to do anything. It's not a work to get the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Every believer receives the Spirit of God as his teacher, his companion, his helper, his comforter. And there's lots of other adjectives that you'll fill in over your life there, among many other things. So it is the only way a person can know the things that are freely given to us by God. That's the only way we can. Without the Spirit of God, study this book till, you, till your eyes fall out. Without the Spirit of God, you won't understand it. You won't really understand it. Only those who are indwelt by that Spirit are able to receive revelation that starts with salvation, continues on throughout a believer's life. As he works out his salvation in fear and trembling, he goes from glory to glory, becoming more and more like the Son of God. Is that a frightening thing? And yet a, a heady and wonderful thing? That as you've gone from the day of your salvation to today, you've become more like Jesus. 
We say that. We say it in Sunday school. More about the Savior. More like Jesus. Would I be, you know, that song. But really, you're more like Jesus. More like the Son of God. In the, only, in the way that humans can be. We can never be divine. We can never be just like Him. But although the Scripture says we, shall, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. So every day, the Son of God, I mean the, the Holy Spirit of God is growing you. The Spirit, and, and why? Why? I forgot this little verse here. Not verse, phrase that I have. Growing in grace and service to those whom God has called you to minister. That's what it's about. It's not about just amalgamating to yourself the qualities of the Son of God, but becoming more like Him so you can serve the world. Just as He came, not to be, not to be king, but to be a ransom for many, to, be, to serve. The world cannot receive the things of God. Only believers can. And so the difficult truths of Scripture can only truly be comprehended by believers. Not because they are more intelligent or wise, but because we, they, the Corinthians and us, have the helper and teacher as our constant companion. And I'm truly grateful for that. Because there's sometimes when I'm reading these things and I go, I don't think I understand that. And often, illumination is only given when previous illumination is taken and acted, acted upon. God will not give you more light until you act on the light He has given you. And if that light requires obedience, requires submission, requires removal of something from your life, that's the light you need to follow right then. That's the light you need to have. Search out your heart and obey. So we have received not the spirit of the world, and we know that spirit. We've seen it. But the spirit of who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given from God. I don't, as an aside, I don't think we're ever going to plumb the depths of all the things that have been freely given to us by God. Ever. Oh, but in in heaven, we'll have the mind of Christ. Yeah, to the degree that a created creature can have the mind of Christ. There is so much He has done for us that it's going probably going to take an eternity to, to uh, admire it all. To admire it all. I guess that's one way to put it. Any comments on verse 12? They changed the clock on me. I'm so used to analog. I see the hand... I know exactly where I'm at. Now I have to. Now I actually have to process the 50. Okay, where would the hand be? <laughs> oh, okay, we're good. Verse 13. Okay, coming off of 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things, Paul says, which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is sort of the doctrine of um, inspiration, if you will, and I thought about getting into that deeply. I think we're going to just we're going to work through it a little bit at a time, kind of nibbling at the edges, so that we don't don't uh, maybe maybe next week I'll change my mind. While there is a sense in which the we in verses 12 and 13 are all believers, the specific application, however, is to Paul and the apostles. All believers benefit from the Helper, the Holy Spirit, in teaching and bringing to remembrance the things of God. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Wow, that's a wonderful thing too. When you need it most, the Spirit will be there. You need Him most. The Apostles, however, in a way that we can't, 
receive spiritual thoughts from the Holy Spirit, which were translated into spiritual words, which have become Scripture. And somehow, God infused... And I don't know how to communicate this. This is beyond me. So, as I stumble through this, if some of you have got a better analogy, a better metaphor, please step in. Somehow, the Father communicated the spiritual insights to the apostles in such a way that they put it down on paper and it became a body of linguistic truth, if you will, that has the ability to link with other sections of Scripture in such a manner that when it's studied as a whole, studied together, studied under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you cannot exhaust this book. Now, I have read Haynes' manual on my Dodge pickup. I'm not that smart, but I can exhaust that. <laughs> exhaust, car, no pun intended. Okay. <laughs> but back to that. You know, there's only so many ways that you can remove the green wire and clip it off and remove the red wire and clip it off and put them together and put a connector on. How do you... Well, let's get a spiritual application. We probably could, but somehow the Holy Spirit inspired these men to put words to paper that have, have everything we need for our entire lives to build us up, make us more like Christ, deal with the difficulties of our lives, Give us counsel. Give us comfort. Give us hope. Give us courage. That's what the spiritual thoughts combined with spiritual words. That's about the best I can do. Jim, do you have any addition there? It's just a, it's an amazing thing that I don't know that, that maybe some of the doctors in the most prestigious and best Bible college can explain. They just know as well that the study of this brings great comfort, great joy, great peace, great alignment with God. Ron. I've got a clue. I'm gonna. I've got. I can, I, I'm just reining myself in. I got this cool. At least I think it's cool. And you guys would better think it's cool too. So the apostles, to them, came the revelation that God intended for mankind. What an incredible responsibility! But the Holy Spirit was there. He intended. He provided the spiritual thoughts that, and the spiritual words that they recorded through His direction. Using their, using their intellect, using their, their personalities, it wasn't a robotic kind of thing at all. It wasn't, uh, you know, their hands moved. It, it wasn't that. It was, the way, it was done in a way that only God could do, using the humanity that He made to communicate the divinity that needed to be given to us so that we could understand. And then, because He knew that would be real hard. Now I'm being, I'm being anthropomorphic here. I'm, because that would be really hard. He gave us the Holy Spirit. We benefit from this book every time we pick it up and read it, trusting the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us. These two verses speak essentially of the inspiration of Scripture, the doctrine of inspiration. And there's much more to it, much more to that. Paul and the apostles didn't comb ancient texts of men and look for the most persuasive ways to bring the gospel to the world. Rather, they were inspired by the Spirit himself in a way that doesn't happen anymore. Repeat after me. It doesn't happen anymore. I know that's not good grammar, Jim, but it doesn't happen anymore. It's done. What we need is right here. And all this other stuff in the back, the, the what do they call this, the chain references, they're wonderful, but this is inspired. And somehow, 
by God's grace, provides everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Often we will look to the smartest people in the world to give us an understanding of things, but even the smartest people without the indwelling Holy Spirit cannot understand the gospel. They cannot. <laughs> so, any other comments about verse 13? Verse 14, but a natural man does not accept, not cannot, does not, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Again, we're not better. We're not smarter. We're not more accomplished. We're saved. The word natural here stands, the word natural here stands in opposition to the word spiritual in the previous verse. Unbelievers actually cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. They will perceive them as stupid and they actually cannot understand them, not because they're not smart enough and not because we're smarter than them, but only because we've been giving the gift of the one who actually wrote the book that he is giving to us. What better way to understand a book or a tome than to have the one who wrote it explain it to you? If one wishes to understand the U.S. Constitution, you should read the commentary written by the folks who debated and formulated the, doc the document that we call the Constitution. Those are called the Federalist Papers. If you wonder what Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 means and why Washington disease is getting so out of control, they disobey that one for one. And that's all illustrated in three different Federalist Papers. They explain what it means. And so the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to explain Scripture in a wondrous way. But he also uses his own indwelling presence in your life to communicate it to you. So the author of the text we study has been given to us freely to guide us in our understanding. There are people who have read the Bible more than we have and are far advanced. But because they don't have the benefit of the author in their lives, they do not understand it. By the grace of God, we do. By the grace of God. This applies to all of us. There are folks who are so much smarter than I am that their IQ is larger than my weight. And that's something. Uh, the smartest man in the world, we'll go through some of these, he's supposed to have an IQ. Oh, this is, the, this, this is a dummy. His IQ is only 210. Once IQs get into three digits, <laughs> well, we'll leave that alone. I'm going to get, okay, so this guy is considered, he was at the age of six months he was able to speak and understand Korean and other languages. At the age of three, he could read several languages already, including Korean, Jap Japanese, German, and English, as well as solve complex calculus problems as exposed live on Japanese television. He was listed then in the Guinness Book of World, World Records under the highest IQ. This fella, he's supposed to be the smartest man on the planet. IQ 230. Um, and if he doesn't have the Spirit of God, he won't understand this book. Uh, so, I'm going to, I'm going to, have you ever heard something you didn't understand? You read it, you, and, and you read it again, and you read it, and you went, okay, I'm going to read something to you. I'm going to read something to you. Since its inception, ergodic theory was successfully employed, was successfully employing combinatorial ideas and methods from the use of the ubiquitous pigeonhole principle and the proof of the Poincaré recurrence theorem to combinatorial proofs of maximal inequalities to the utilization of the marriage lemma in Ornstein's isomorphism, isomorphism theory. Yeah, I'm really doing fine. This debt to combinatorics 
is amply repaid by the accomplishments of the ergodic Ramsey theory. Ergodic Ramsey theory was initiated in 1977 when H. Furstenberg proved a far-reaching extension of the classical Poincaré recurrence theorem and derived from it the celebrated Schismerides theorem, which states that every set, E is a subset of natural numbers with derivative of E equals the limit of superset natural numbers to infinity when E intersects at 1, 2, to N when N is greater than 0, contains arbitrarily long arithmetic progressions. Furstenberg's ergodic approach to Schismerides' theorem has not only revealed the dynamical underpinnings of this seemingly static result, seemingly static result, but has also opened new vistas for mutual perpetuating research in ergodic theory, combinatrics, and number theory. Did you understand that? <laughs> Do we have an interpreter here? <laughs> there are people probably that understand that. Um, I read that. I mean, I parsed that puppy out, so I, I know what it says, but I haven't got the slightest idea what it means. Pardon me? Ask Jim. I asked him last week just in case he knew this, and I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I was springing something on us that nobody knew. Now, there may, there may be a, a higher math student in here that understands this or some of this, but for the average person, we don't even understand the description. It would be like getting a a bowl, uh, you know, a box of cereal and reading the ingredients in it and it was in Korean or, Brit or British. I was going to say British, yeah. I, you like oats, do you, mate? You know. Anyway, unless you have specific training in higher math, everything I just read to you was gobbledygook. Unless your heart is, has been drawn by the Holy Spirit to the Father and you are one of His, the Gospel is gobbledygook to you. And so when you have those Facebook threads where the atheists are coming at you left and right, that's what they're hearing. Except for the atheists that know ergodic Ramsey theory. <laughs> that's what they're hearing. So understand and be gracious and be kind. Be firm. But without the Spirit of God, the natural person can, of course, understand the Gospel. He can read it. He can understand that a man claimed to be God. He came to earth. He died. He can understand the description, the narrative, but it will never get past the cerebellum. And I submit to you that these geniuses, as I've read about them, and whoops, I went the wrong way. As I've read about them, why do you point it at the... Okay, as I've read about them, they're excited about their work. They're deeply involved. They're passionate. Look at his smile. I read a little bit of other stuff about him, and he really get he really he really jives on this stuff, and that's what happens to the Christian when the Holy Spirit comes into their life. I, I don't mean to make it rude, but it's an exciting thing. There's a passion involved. There's a delight. There's a a, a wanting of more. This guy wants more ergodic theory, ergodic Ramsey theory. I think he needs to get a life. But that's my opinion. So. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Paul set the, set the foundation for making that statement, I think, all the way back, reminding us again and again, everything that is special and precious about the Scripture is revealed to everyone. There's no special person. There's no special uh, elite group. There's no brilliant genius that can only understand it. It's given to all of us. Before he said this, but a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And the Greeks 
they would have really needed to hear this because they thought they could understand everything by the application of their own mind. And that is today as well. It's today as well. Any comments? Questions? Anybody want to know more about the ergodic Ramsey theory? I'm not your guy. Verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Those of us who are not very well versed in technology, we think if we just keep hitting buttons, you know, it's kind of like in your car. If the brakes don't work, there aren't other things that are going to do that. Don't hit the radio dial. You're still going to hit the wall. And I just hit the wall. Okay. They are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Now, this word appraise means to judge. We're, the Christian is not supposed to be judgmental. Yes, we are. We're to appraise things and hold fast and think about it and discern and have our senses exercised so that we get better at appraising and judging and holding. We are to be, when it comes to the false, when it, when it comes to untruths, we're supposed to be the in a kind way, the most intolerant people on the planet. There is so much untruth. Now, if I tell you the wrong way to make jello, as long as I don't give you some weird ingredients, like use flour and use eggs and you mix them together and then you put sugar in it and then you set it out in the sun, you're not going to die. But if I give you wrong information, if I appraise this wrong, you're going to die. That's why it's so important. So this comes from the idea of examining or judging. The spiritual man examines, he judges, he investigates, he examines, he inquires into it, he scrutinizes it, he sifts it, he questions it. The Bible study that Ron's teaching. We are coming at the, the, the text of Scripture from so many directions and scrutinizing and analyzing and and all with a judicious understanding that it is the truth, the spirit of God. It is the truth of God, and we hold it up in the highest reverence. But He wants us to dig into it, to tear it apart, not ruin the flower, but to to dig into it in an appropriate way. He wants us to investigate it. This was interesting here, in, especially in a forensic sense, of a judge to hold an investigation, to interrogate, to examine the accused or witnesses, of a judge to judge, to estimate, to determine. To determine the excellence, to determine the effects, to determine the direction. This is what a spiritual person does. He appraises things. He, um, in, uh, <laughs> in the ancient world, it actually could even refer to examination by torture. And probably some Sunday mornings you come here and you think, he's torturing it again. But I, I have approval to do that right here. So, examination by torture. Why? Because we're not to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. He calls the Corinthians babes pretty soon here. Be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they laid him right wait to deceive, laid him wait to deceive. People who, when you talk to them once, they believe this. But if you come at them with the right way and the right attitude and the right questions, pretty soon you find out, no, they actually believe this. It's like nailing jello to the wall. We're not to do that. We're to be careful to approve the excellent, not the best, 
not the good, excuse me, that you may approve the things that are excellent, so that you may, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. So when you're approving the things of excellence, one of the effects that it will have on you is you will become sincere. You will become less likely, less and less likely to stop approving what you know to be true because of pressure. You will approve what is excellent and you will stand there by the grace of God. So that we are to discern and prove all things and stick with those things that are the best. That you may approve the things that prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. There's a sense in which the spiritual person has to be in, in a right way intolerant of things that aren't the best. But not intolerant so that you're, that you're castigating, you're unkind, you're vindictive. That's not what I'm talking about. Just a, a gracious understanding that God has given the truth. And there is a truth. It can be understood if you have the Holy Spirit. We're not to believe... Okay, we are to practice understanding by our study of Scripture so that we'll be able to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5.14 But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And everybody can do that. Nobody gets to be the only person who can discern good and evil. And we're not to believe the spirits, nor the men who seem to speak for those spirits. There is no more prophecy. The spirit of prophecy, and we'll get to that. But you've got a long ways to wait. Clear, up, clear back in verse 12, chapter 12, 11, 12, and 13. Let me get to that. The canon of Scripture is closed. That which is perfect has come. We know, we can understand it by the Spirit of God. So, believe not every spirit, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If they don't speak according to this word, then they're a false prophet. It's a really nice go, no-go gauge. I put together, um, used to, before it became illegal, and I don't do it anymore, but I used to buy the parts and put together firearms. And I would bypass some cost, and I could sell the firearms cheaper. But I want to make sure that when you took it out and shot it, it didn't explode in your face. So we have what, one, of the, one of the tools I used was what was called a go-no-go no go gauge. I had two little things that looked like part of a, a cartridge. And I would oh, get it all done assembled, get everything tightened down to the number of foot in, inch pounds it would have to be, and all, everything straight and all the stuff done, and the trigger assembly, blah, blah, blah. And then you pull the bolt open and you stick the first one in, which is the go-no, or the no-go. <laughs> the no-go. It, if it went in, you did something wrong. Because it was supposed to be a no-go. And, and it was always really, you know, you go... <laughs> you lay it back down because it didn't go. There's some no-goes in here. And then you'd pick up the next one that was a go. And, and it was just fear and trepidation. I mean, we're talking 1100 bucks here that I just messed around with. <sighs> There's some goes in here. That's one of the wonderful things about Scripture. So many. So the spiritual Christian is one who has been made so by the Holy Spirit and by his study of Scripture, but because of the Holy Spirit. It is a process in which one who truly appropriates to themselves the truths of Scripture and they begin to be able to better discern good and evil. Are you better at Judging the things scripturally now than you were 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Hello, that's exactly as it should be. Exactly. Now, are you more Christian than you were 
Are you better than other Christians that don't aren't able to do that? Of course not. And we know that. I'm grateful to belong to a church that humbly understands the old cliche, or if it's not a cliche, the old truth that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Since the natural man is being unspiritual, is unable to appropriately, to properly appraise God's word, neither, by the way, and you'll find this out, neither can he properly appraise or discern or forensically understand Christians. He can't understand you. Don't expect him to. Why do you say that? No, you should be saying, oh, okay, I can see why you would say that. Maybe that's a good segue into him asking a question. What do you mean by that? Although they may accurately understand and point out to us our faults. I mean, my, I know people who can say, you're a Christian, you can't do that. And they're right. Because they've read the book. And the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not. They understand what shalt not means. But, and, and especially they're able to show us our faults inconsistently living on, based on what we believe. But they cannot truly accurately evaluate our faith because it is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And no allegiance to a list of rules and regulations is what makes the difference. What makes the difference is the devotion we have in our hearts to changing because we love the Savior. And so believers will continuously be missed and consistently be mistreated by unbelievers. Okay, I'm, I'm processing. Okay. We'll be Un, they will be consistently mistreated and un, misunderstood by unbelievers. Now, let it not be said that believers are only responsible to God. While the Christian is ultimately answerable only to God, there is value in this world in the disciplines that happen. So there's value in church discipline. For I, 1 Corinthians 5, we'll get to that, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him. This is the fellow that was sleeping with his mother's wife, his, his father's wife. Judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved. Purpose, direction, purpose, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Church discipline has value today. Um, so does constructive criticism. Constructive criticism. I've got the criticism part now. I don't know that I have the constructive part down. But in giving this instruction, 1 Corinthians 11, 17-19, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. He's talking about the, the uh, um, communion. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there, also must, for there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So he's constructive criticism. He's criticizing. And then last, in this section... Self-judgment. These things are still appropriate. But if we judged ourselves rightly, Paul says, we would not be judged. So, <laughs> just understand. I know that was a long section on that one verse, but the natural man cannot appraise the things of Scripture the way a, a spirit-directed Christian can. Again, not because we're better, because they don't have the teachers. 
And so the best classes I had when I was in high school, some of them were in vocational agriculture. They were hands-on, where they would give us the theory about how to do something. And then we would go out into the shop and we would make it. And the instructor would stand over you and say, no, no, don't. You need to turn it. And the wrong color. Before you quench it, it's the wrong color. It's got to be purple. He was right there. That's what we have. We have the author right there teaching us, sustaining us, encouraging us, comforting us, bringing us into conformity with the Word of God, which is spiritual and unplumbable, if I could coin a new word. Unplumbable. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning again for the Spirit of God, for the Word of God. It is a treasure that we will never fully understand here. Maybe in eternity we won't, but I, I, I'd like to. I'd like to be able to give the full devotion, I think all of us would, that would be given to a God who would give us such a wonder. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You that He is continually working in our lives to make us more like Your Son so that we might serve those around us in a manner that will draw them to God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.